Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Thank you, MG and Elizabeth. Um, Tonight, our speaker is someone who is very, very special to me. I have known her for almost five years and we've had a lot of adventure together inside 12-step rooms, and I'm happy to say outside 12-step rooms, and I think that um, what she has to say will be new and perhaps a little different uh, than uh, speakers that most of us have heard, and I am happy to announce it is Marianne. Thank you, Shanda. (laughs) Wow, this is really um, such an honor, and I appreciate everyone um, for showing up here tonight and um, listening to my SLAA journey. So I'm Mary Ann, and I am grateful, so grateful to be in this program. Um, Just to give you um, just a little bit of background about myself, um, I am one of six children, was born as as a baby boomer in the 60s. I'm number five out of six. My parents had six children in a span of eight years. So right there, you've got a lot of chaos, a lot of neglect. Um, I know now that most likely my father was was a love addict um and there was just a lot of traumatic things that happened in my childhood um i had a sister who was a got pregnant as a teen in high school and that was very traumatic for our family my parents you know made her have the baby and then they forced her to give it up for adoption so that was really traumatic um and I and she was shipped away you know and I was left behind trying to lie to um everyone in the high school about no she's not pregnant you know it was it was it was awful um and then I found out many years later uh that I had a brother who was sexually abused by a priest a couple of priests um and he ended up being a major alcoholic drug addict um prison um, I had an uncle that I didn't know about that I heard about later. I'm like, who's that? You know, he, he was an alcoholic, um, shot his wife and then killed himself. Like just, there's just so much, um, addiction and dysfunction, um, on both sides of my family. Um, 
but just focusing on my own little family, you know, my parents, um, you know, they did the best they could. Uh, they did struggle though, to keep everything afloat. I always felt as a, as a young child that, you know, we were teetering on the edge of financial collapse. Um, and then on top of that, you know, being one of six and being towards the end of the, you know, being number five out of six, it's very hard to get any attention whatsoever um, growing up. And I was, I would label myself as a child, um, as the good girl, um, you know, as a high achiever, I, you know, to straight A's. Um, but I got very little recognition for that. I found that the, the siblings in my family that got all the attention were all the ones who were troubled and caused problems. And, you know, they got all the resources, all the attention. Um, and I was just ignored pretty much. Um, and it, it was really, really painful to, to see that. And, you know, my, my parents were overjoyed that my, rather gra actually graduated from high school at all and but then when it was my turn it was like meh whatever you know so I, I feel like the dysfunction for me started at a really young age as far as like seeking love and not getting it um and when i got into my teens um it didn't take me long to discover boys and um beer and, um, you know, trying to find love outside of, of my family of origin. And my first boyfriend, um, was, you know, I, well, my first sexual encounter was at age 15 and, um, you know, with lots of alcohol involved and, uh, you know, being, in, being, being put in situations where I, I knew like deep down, I didn't really want to do any of those things, but there was something that was compelling me, um, you know, to do it because I had to have a boyfriend because if I didn't have a boyfriend, then I was zero. I didn't, you know, I was not, I don't know. I didn't matter. You know, I had to have the guy, right. To make myself feel like I had any value at all. Um, so there was a lot of alcohol and sex and acting out, you know, in my teens and my twenties, um, a lot of things that when I think about it now, when I look back on it now, I think I didn't really want to do most of that. Um, that was not who I was. Um, that is who, I mean, it definitely was who I was, but it just felt like something's wrong. This doesn't feel right to me. You know, I'm, I'm doing what everybody else I think is doing and trying to be cool and, you know, trying to be, you know, um, sexually available and, and like focus on how I look and how I seem to other people and really just set aside a lot of who I was in the process and lost myself. Because who I was, I made up, was not somebody who was, you know, beautiful or sexual or appealing. If I if I if I showed my true self, um, that wasn't going to fly. No one wanted no one wanted to talk to that person. 
I actually remember when I was when I was in college, you know, I'm, I consider myself an intellectual type um, and I really love learning. Um, and I remember in college, um, I would come home and I would want to talk to my college friends like I would actually want to talk about what I learned in class. And they just thought that was the stupidest thing ever. Like no one wanted to have intellectual conversations. They all wanted to get high and get laid. And they were like, you're a weirdo, you know? And I felt like a weirdo. I was like, I, there's something wrong with me because I really want to have deep intellectual conversations. I thought that's what college was about. Um, or at least that's what I wanted it to be about. I really wanted to talk about what I was learning. Um, and I got zero from the friends that I chose, right? That really aren't, none of them are my friends anymore. <laughs> you know, like that, that didn't work out. But, you know, I always felt like I was a foreigner in my own body, right? So this continued on, um, graduated from college, um, became a teacher, um, was teaching. And, and during, that, during that time, you know, dating a lot um, with a lot of different guys. And there's this one guy I met that I was, you know, he would be what I would consider like I stalked this dude, like literally spied on him, broke into his house, looked through his stuff, you know, really, you know, it was an ideal situation because I rented him his apartment and I had the keys so I could go and like, when he wasn't home, I could go in and stalk him, you know? Um, but he was like what I would call, what I would consider one of my first like obsessive, like really unhealthy um, situations. You know, I thought he was the one, he was going to save me, whatever. But anyway, one of the things I really liked about him was that he traveled a lot um, and he went to a lot of places and I was like, and then I met another guy who was also kind of a world traveler and, um, you know, went to all these places. And I was really drawn to these men because I didn't realize at the time, but it's like, that's what I like. That's what I want to do. So I realized, well, maybe, maybe I should just go do that. You know? So I, I got a job, um, teaching overseas at a school in uh, Lima, Peru of all places. So, you know, if you think that you can do the geographic cure, let me tell you, it doesn't work because <laughs> when you end up in a, in a place, that's completely alien and foreign and like, you know, no one and, and you don't know what's going on. You don't speak the language. Every problem that you have is every problem that I had was magnified by a thousand million. Yeah. So way more acting out way more, you know, all those things like trying to find my value in the next guy, right. Just a collection of disasters. Um, and never really thinking, or, or realizing like, hey, what you're doing is really cool and you don't need that. You just, just be cool, you know, but just driven, driven to, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't have a guy that's wrong with me. I can't stay in a relationship, you know? And so that really dictated my life for really my whole twenties. Um, and then I, I, after three years of Peru, I'm, I've got a job in Europe and Belgium. And um, again, starting over, right? Just the world traveler. <laughs> um, and after about a year of being in Belgium, I met um, my husband 
And, you know, it was like love at first sight, right? So ding, 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 red flag, anyone? Um, he was so beautiful. Um, he, and I didn't know him at all, but I was in love with him, right? Um, he was quiet and he listened and he was pretty and, and he was a European and that was enough, you know? That was what I, what I knew. So we just moved in together, like within weeks of meeting each other. And I was so relieved because I was like, oh my God, I'm almost, I'm 30. I'm, you know, if I don't find someone soon, like my life is going to be over. Like I need to, I need to get married. I need to have the kids. Like I need to get it. I need to get it done, you know? So I did all that, you know, we got married, we had two children, we built a house. Um, but there was something, something was wrong. Um, I felt really lonely and isolated. And I had this idea, like if I moved back to America, that somehow um, if I got back close to my family, I could be okay. I was, you know, working full time, had these two little children. I was felt so lonely. And when I would go home to visit my family, I would just get so sad that I had to leave them. And it was because I was, I think I was really lonely in my marriage because I had married a man who was 100% emotionally unavailable um, and had like anger issues and, you know, heavy drinking also. And, um, you know, we went back and forth through the years, uh, but I did force him pretty much to move back to the United States. And that was really such a difficult Thing because he had a lot of resentment about that. He didn't really want to do it. I kind of made him do it because, you know, I was not capable of being relational or I just, I just knew what I wanted. I'm going to do this. I don't care what you want. We're doing this. And um, that was really, really hard. We, we did, we weren't doing well. Um, I remember one night, I was so mad at him and he came at me and he, he literally grabbed me by the throat and choked me in front of our, our children, our two little daughters. And that's when I knew like, we got to You got to get out. So he got out, you know, he got help. He did this mankind project. I did this woman within, we did this couple's work, you know, working on our, you know, I let him back. He was changing you know, uh, it's going to be okay now, but it really wasn't, you know, but we kind of just kept going and I thought we were okay, but we really, we really didn't have, we still didn't have the intimacy. There was still something wrong and I didn't, I couldn't figure out what it was. And then came February 2nd, 2017. And I was at work and I got a phone call from some strange man and the office called through and they're like, do you want to take a call? Some guy's calling. He says it's urgent. So I immediately thought, oh my God, something's happened to one of my kids. Yeah, let me take the call. And it was the, this man. And he told me that my husband and his wife had been having an affair for years. And I, I didn't believe him. Because <laughs> it's like, no, we're, you know, we're working on our marriage. We're, we're in couples group for 10 years. You know, this can't be true. But it was, and I was completely and totally devastated. I have never felt so much trauma, 
and pain. Um, luckily, both of my children had grown up and had moved out of the house, like they were gone. Um, so I could kick him out yet again and try to pick up the pieces. Um, and I, that's when I first learned about PTSD and trauma and family of origin. And like, I, that's when I took the deep dive. Um, I joined ISA, which is Infidel Infidelity Survivors Anonymous. And from there, I met a woman who's like, oh, you're a slaw. <laughs> you need to go to slaw. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> I started going to slaw. I did the food groups. I did the partner recovery, just intense therapy every single day, meeting or something. I met the most incredible women, the most beautiful women um, doing this work. And it was, you know, I thought I'd been doing the work, right? I'd been in the women within and this couples group and, you know, it was just a whole nother level. And it wasn't until the full truth came out that my husband could actually truly recover Fortunately for me, he also got into recovery, heavy duty. Um, and so we worked, we, we worked really hard. And um, I'm really lucky that I'm one of the ones that are, we're still together. You know, we work in couples recovery. We work in, we both do our individual program, SLAW. He did therapy for like five years um, because, uh, that was, that was what we chose, both of us. Um, so uh, the, the whole process of healing from betrayal trauma is um, quite a journey. Um, it's like doing the 12 steps with another human being um, and then coming clean and telling their entire life story and, and everything they ever did. Um, and I've, I've really, you know, until I got into 12 step recovery, specifically SLAW, and then the RCA recovering couples who are identify as SLAW, um, that's when the, that's when the realness, the really real recovery, um, and healing started for me. Um, and, uh, you know, and I learned so many things about myself and, and I learned I had, you know, major anxiety problems and I discovered emotions anonymous. And so there's, you know, and then ACA, you know, family of origin. Um, it's all, for me, it's all connected. Um, but I really feel like SLAW is my home because I really feel like the core wound for me is the love addiction, you know, the, the willingness to do anything put up with anything to feel love um the love i didn't get from my mother the mother wound you know um and and that just manifested itself in in not only my romantic you know relations but also my my relationships with my sisters and my family and my friends and um just everyone like i would just be willing to um, just put up with a lot of really dysfunctional behavior from other people. And I didn't understand that I could get up and walk away. I didn't understand that I could say, 
you know, I don't want to do this anymore with you. You know, I, I was brainwashed, you know, family is everything and you have to stay in there and you have to keep trying to make it work. And I didn't know anything about boundaries, nothing. Um, and for me, that's been like one of the greatest healings is the boundary work. That's just been critical for me. And, um, what I've discovered through all this journey, um, that I've been on since discovery is that the love has to start inside and the acceptance has to start inside. Like I have to, I had to, um, excavate Marianne, like who is she? Where does she go and what brings her joy? And what in my life am I doing because I feel like I have to? And what are some things that I really want to do that I haven't been doing? Um, and to me, that's the greatest gift of all in recovery is like, ooh, Marianne likes this and Marianne likes that. She's going to do those things. And I'm not going to let that judgy, critical, voice inside my head say, no, you're not good enough to do that. Um, you're not. Um, and I, I discovered one of the healing things that I really love to do is dance. Um, but I don't like, I don't like choreographed dancing, like do this, then do this. Cause then you know, like Zumba, because I immediately, my inner critic is like, well, you're stupid. You can't even learn those steps. You can't, you can't do it. You're dumb, you know? but I love dancing. So I started just dancing. I turned up, you know, made a playlist and started just dancing freely. You're at 20 minutes. Thank you. In my own, um, in my own house, just, you know, cause I, I knew I wanted to, you know, get some physical exercise. I knew that would be helpful for me, but I didn't like anything. I didn't, I don't like lifting weights. I don't like walking on a treadmill. I don't, I want to go outside. I want to move freely. So I started dancing as a, just a, for physical activity, but also for, um, for pleasure. Right. And I started to rediscover how much I love listening to music and how much I love just dancing. Um, and I liked it so much. I, I started a company called uh, dance your ass off and I started started dancing um, and and offering my services to um, anyone else who would want to dance and um, because I just find it so healing um, and and that's something that I, I never ever dreamed I would ever ever do right I had my job and this is what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this um, I never, you know, and I was like, well, why not? You know, why not? Just do it. It doesn't matter what happens. And it has been such a great experience for me because whether anyone shows up or not, I show up for myself. And I, I've made this little slideshow and it has all these positive affirmations and beautiful pictures of nature. And I just dance. And I read those positive messages and I look at these beautiful pictures of the world and it just lifts me out of myself and it makes me feel alive 
and beautiful. And um, I remember I did it for, I did it at a, at an ISA retreat. So this is these infidelity survivor women who are all in trauma. And one of the little groups was to do this dancing class. And I was really nervous. So I was just getting started and I, I did it. I got it all set up and I did it. And they had such a good time. Like they were all just totally into it. And they were like, they said to me, you're an infidelity survivor. Like I couldn't believe that I had you know, recovered enough to be able to do this dancing, but it's like, it's because of recovery that I have discovered this aspect of myself that needs to come out. It needs to come out. I need to stop saying no to myself and I'm not good enough and nobody will love me or people will think I'm stupid or whatever. And just do it. Just do go with what my heart wants me to do. Listen to my heart and tell my head to shut up. And so I've continued that practice. Um, and um, when when the COVID hit, I was like, okay, we'll just go on Zoom. And so I figured out how to do all that and do the background on Zoom and just kept going. And, and um, honestly, when the COVID thing hit, that's when my anxiety hit a massive high level. And I was grateful that I already had people and therapists in place to reach out to, to get the guidance I needed because I was terrified. I was so terrified and um, I just kept going, you know, I just danced even when my body didn't want me to dance because I don't, I, I, when you're, when I'm scared, I, I can't move, but it's like, I need to move because I have something trapped inside of me. It needs to come out. I need to release it. You know, I need to move my body. It's the only way I'm going to be able to connect with myself. So I just kept pushing on through. And then um, the other thing I discovered most recently is another course I found on Coursera, which is this online, maybe you've heard of it, but there was a course called Healing Through the Arts. And um, I started to do it. And, um, and then I invited uh, my friend that I do emotions anonymous work with, I invited her to join me in doing this class. I'm like, let's do this. Let's take a break from our step work and let's do this class. And then another friend that I had met in recovery joined us and it has been the most fulfilling thing for me because it, it starts off where we are, we are embodying the fact that I am embodying the fact that I am an artist. I am an artist. I am an artist. So I love art. I love artists, but I never thought like I was good enough to be one or even say I am one. And so this course has just opened me up. You know, I started painting and, 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 uh, you know, I, I re I redid a whole room in my house. So I had this art area and I started doing soul collage, which is collaging and journaling and, um, and then we got to the music part and um, I actually wrote a song. I wrote a song and I'm a longtime singer. I've sung my whole life in bands or at church and you know, I love singing. Um, but if you had told me a few years ago that you're gonna, you're gonna start writing music, I would have said, you're, you're crazy. It's not, I can't, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Um, but taking that course and being 
being just willing to let go of like the judgment, the criticism, the, the, you can't do that. You don't know enough. You don't play an instrument well enough. You can't do it. Um, you know, I let that go. And I've written three songs since September. Um, and I'm having the time of my life learning um, how to do that and sharing it with um, some people. I, it was funny. I shared one with my highly critical mother and <laughs> she was like, I don't like, I don't like that. And I was like, <laughs> you know, um, just once it'd be nice to have a mom that says, that's amazing. I can't believe you even did that. That is the most incredible. Like I wouldn't even know how to do that. What a beautiful thing that you did, you know? So I know who to take my art to and who to, and it was funny. I was willing to share another song with her. I shared another song with her yesterday and I've had a lot of healing around my mother. Um, but she, she, she liked it, but then of course she gave me unwanted feedback. And I just, you know, I used to destroy me when that would happen, but now I just laugh. I just laugh. It's like, no, that's not helpful, but I didn't respond. You know, I didn't respond. I just said, that's my mom. You know, that's the way it is. And then I presented my song to my two, you know, healing for the arts course people last night and the feedback I got and the, and the love, was just beyond, you know, my imagination. And it was like, I actually am starting to feel like what it feels like to be a songwriter. And I, I'm listening to music in a whole different way now. And I'm just taking it in. Like, it's like this whole level of layer of like creativity has opened up um, in me in, in every area. And it's like, I can do whatever I want. I can learn whatever I want. I can, I can do this. I, I can do anything I want. Um, there's, there are no limits. And um, when I think about like the technology that we have now with like in garage band, I mean, I don't have to play an instrument. I, I like arrange an entire song. I put in the guitar and the harp, the, the strings and the drums and the vocals. And I did my own harmony. I mean, it was like, whoa, this is so fun. Um, so I credit like all those things, all, all these things that have just come alive for me with recovery and with that horrible trauma. Um, and that, that just unbelievable amounts of pain. Um, the fruits of that, I, if you had told me that when I was in the midst of my PTSD trauma of discovery that, yeah, oh, you'll be fine, you'll get, you know, and you'll start dancing, you'll start a company, and then you'll start writing music, and you're just going to take off, you know, I would have told you you were crazy, you know, I can't do any of those things, I don't know what you're talking about, but I really credit SLAA because of love, the love that I got from the women in this program that I never got from my sisters and my mother, women who would support me and say nice things about me and give me compliments and um, encourage me. 
And I remember when I was first starting out with the dancing, Shanda, she was just over my house, man. We were just dancing in my little room and she was helping me and she would show up um, at my classes. I mean, it was the women in the program. Those are the ones who came to my classes. Um, and, you know, I just, there are, there are, that, that's the love. That's the love that I got from being with women um, and being in this program that has helped me become, or I am becoming the person that I always wanted to be. And I don't need a man and I don't need my mom and I don't need my sister and I don't need this person and that toxic person. I don't need the people who don't like me to like me anymore. What I need is to find the people that want to work on themselves and want to learn how to be relational and have open hearts and have done the work. Those are the people that I want to spend all my time with. And so today I choose those people and, you know, my family, they've got, they've got their place and I set limits on the amount of time um, that I, spend with them. And I've also noticed a lot of healing around that when I stepped back and said, mm, you know, uh, I, I could tell who, who wanted to stay, who wanted to keep trying with me and who wanted to bail. And I'm really lucky that one of the, the people was my husband. Um, and that even though we fell in love, you know, um, at first sight, there was some love there, there, there was love. Um, and it has sustained us and it has made him do his work and me do my work and um, be slow work, slaw work. Okay. Um, this program um, is what healed us and we continue to work on ourselves and we have never been more connected and eight minutes left. Thank you. And relational and just happy. Um, and thing, you know, it's just, things are just smoother, but I, I don't want to, you know, like cherry coat it. Like it was horrible. Okay. It was absolutely horrible. I have never felt like it was the first time I ever felt like I wanted to kill someone. Like I, I, I comprehended murder. Okay. I comprehended that. I was like, Oh yeah, I, I get how, I get how someone could do that. Um, so it's just really a miracle and it all started here in this program with you and I, that's why I keep coming back. I just keep coming back. I keep coming back. A new layer is peeled. A new level is attained. It's it's an it's a unending process for me. Um, I'm always learning something new. I'm always gaining something every time I hear another woman's story or um, go to a meeting. There's always something there for me, and it keeps me anchored in reality. And um, I realized re most recently that I'm love addicted to my children. Hey. <laughs> I'm stalking my own child and 
tracing her on where is she on the phone and like freaking out and going into anxiety and just that was the newest level layer for me was the most recent discovery oh you're love addicted to your children that's just great okay so let's apply these principles so i immediately went back to the meetings and i'm like okay i need to deal with this now and and one of the fruits of that was this week i wrote a song i wrote a song called i've gotta let you go and it's about letting my children go and um i'm so grateful because i have my creativity back and it is a vehicle for my healing and um it's it's uh it's such a beautiful experience to um be able to share that and i knew immediately the people that I wanted to share that song with, and they were people in this program and they heard it and they received it and they just sent nothing back to me, but love, there was no critique. <laughs> there was no like, oh, maybe I need to tweak this a little bit. You know, it's like, I know my voice isn't perfect. Um, I know that I don't have a flawless voice. Um, no one said anything like that to me. Um, it was just so great to, to receive that um, from the people that I wanted to share it with. And um, I just feel so happy and grateful right now. I'm in a really good place in my life. And um, even though I have a lot of sadness about my younger daughter not ever calling me or coming around anymore, um, I've processed it, you know, I've used this program and I've used my creativity to work it through, you know, and I have tools now to deal with my heavy duty emotions and I can try to pretend to be a grown up and not be so reactive and be just responsive and, and know the buck stops here. It, it, it stops with me and like, I'm responsible for how I feel. No one else is. And that's the main gift that I've gotten from this program is like to take a hundred percent responsibility for myself. And thank you all so much for listening. And um, I'm really grateful. Thank you, Marianne. So thank you, Marianne. Thank you, Marianne.
That's it for this month's speaker meeting. Stay tuned to Sober Sisters Talk for next month's speaker. Thank you.